This is American Real, where we aim to inspire, empower, and enlighten you through the stories of our guests. Here's your host, Roger Brooks. We have two choices in life. We can either run around or you can train to become a ninja to all the stuff that happens in life, to be really resilient so that when life stuff happens, you're a ninja and you're just like, nah, it doesn't faze me, I'll carry on or I'll go over here or I'll work on this thing. It's because the way that we do anything is the way that we do everything for the most part. We go into a situation um, without defensiveness, looking to actually have a conversation looking to listen, to hear, and really understand what the other person is motivated by, what they're looking for. I believe that there's always a way for us to figure something out that works for everybody. Learning how to be resilient, learning how to show up and not take it personally and carry on and um, be in the world when shit happens <laughs> is such an important skill. Let me guess, you're an entrepreneur looking for ways to grow your business online. And you've probably tried everything to grow your business, including social media, SEO, even paid ads, only to find out that nothing truly works. So what if I told you that writing a book that goes on to become a bestseller is the magic wand, and that you can do it in as little as 30 days, two weeks, or even over a weekend in some cases, without spending more than 10 minutes a day. Would you be interested? My name is Roger Brooks, and I'm the founder and host of American Real TV, where I interview world-class guests to empower others through the essence of story. But I didn't get here overnight, and my mission certainly doesn't end here. Ever since I was a little boy, it's been my dream to empower others through the craft of writing and storytelling. And throughout my life, I came across several mentors who pushed me toward my passion for writing books and helping others to do the same. There is no greater joy than to be working with aspiring authors and to help them establish true credibility within their industry by writing and publishing their first book, which I'm proud to say have all gone on to become bestsellers. Now, you're seeing this video because I just opened enrollment for my new book writing program, where I promise to take you from page one to published in 90 days or less. I will be personally working with you to overcome the same fears and obstacles that kept me from pursuing my dreams all of those years. Simply click on the link below to see how I could help you become a first-time best-selling author. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is Ebony Allard, an award-winning international coach. You're a misfit turn maven, an author, an artist, and an advocate. You are the creator of the Misfit to Maven Way, the value filter system, and host of the podcast, Adulting with Ebony. It's your mission to help 100,000 misfits, which we'll get into today. And Ebony, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's so interesting having your bio read back at your life. This person sounds fantastic. Who is, who's this? <laughs> well, great. I, I just love the fact that we can connect with people all over the world today. And I, I came across your Instagram page 
I don't know how, but I feel it was meant to be. It was meant for us to connect for some reason. And I'm so glad we did because as I started looking at your content and reading your story, and then I read this post this morning that <laughs> blew me away, really. And, and I just, I, I would like to open up with that if, if we can. Yeah. That story was just, it, 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 it's just incredible. I cannot tell you how much emotion you had reading it. And I, I read every word and I would love for you to just tell our listeners about your experience with your, you know, initial love for the U.S. and, and what happened in that, your journey uh, to get here. That's such an interesting, it's such a coincidence that that, that went out today and that we, uh, we had that. So I have always had a love affair with the States and a, a kind of old school Americana was something that really interested me as a kid and a teen and kind of American music and the 50s stuff, like all of that was so interesting. And my parents and I traveled a lot. I lived in seven countries before I was seven. Um, I had a fantastic um yeah, upbringing around, around traveling and seeing the world. But for some reason, whatever reason, the States just weren't interesting to them. So I'd never been to America. And um, when I turned 21, my grandmother asked me for finishing your college, what did I want as a gift? Because I'd got a job and I did a reasonably good grade and she wanted to give me something to celebrate. And I said, I want flights to New York. And I'd waited until I was 21 so that I could drink and have a great time and go out and get the full New York experience. Um, a genuinely 21 year old in my, in my head was like, I'll go, I'll meet some guy, we'll get married, I'll have a green card and I'll, I'll move, it'll be fantastic. That didn't happen. Um, <laughs> so I had an amazing time. I, I loved, um, I loved, oh, so, so there's a story of the day I landed and, um, a taxi cab picked me up and it was, I was like, it's Joey from Friends. Like they, all these people are real. I was so excited, genuinely so excited about being in this place that I'd only seen in movies and in shows and all the rest of it. And that love affair continued. And uh, later on, I really wanted to work in the States. I really wanted to find a way to get paid to travel across the States. And I always had this dream of seeing 52 States and then coming, going all the way across and doing that. And, I got this job working with Sarah Brightman and managing her VIP, um, creating the VIP experiences at each show, so managing a party and creating that. And for various reasons, there were contracting issues and the tour moved and she had this stuff where she was going into space, so she had health things, all sorts of stuff going on. And it got moved and moved and moved. And eventually it actually happened and I was about to get on the plane and fly for this three months traveling um, from east coast to west and actually through Canada as well. So we were going up and down the whole way across and I hated it. <laughs> I absolutely hated it. I wasn't getting to see anything. You know, I was seeing inside of a tour bus, inside of a venue, um, you know, doing the same thing night after night, surrounded by people who were such super fans of Sarah Brightman. And I really wasn't. I did, her music is it's wonderful, but it's not to my taste, particularly night after night for you know, a, a long time. And so I lasted 18 days before I really wanted to get out of there. And I had met a man just before I left, two weeks before I left, and we'd had a great time hanging out and I'd fallen in love with him and we were still talking every day. And so I was so torn between this thing that on paper looked amazing, like traveling, getting paid, working on this event, 
And all I really wanted to do was go home and hang out with him and see what happened. And the romantic in me was like, and I'll go home, all of that. But I also felt like I, I'll never work again. People will hate me. I'll let people down. If I say no to this, I'll never work again. Like my reputation will be in shatters. So I had all of this conflict about what to do. And I remember it really distinctly. I was lying in another Doubletree Hilton bathroom. This one happened to be in Detroit. And I was lying in the bath, kind of meditating to myself and just really thinking like, what do I want? And it became really clear, like you have to speak up, you need to go home and there's a way of navigating this so that everyone gets what they want. And actually it turned out we found someone else who wanted to be on the road and they got that experience and I'm very good at logistics and organizing things. So I came home uh, and continued to do the organization and advance the shows from home and it, and it worked out, but it really taught me that you can manifest anything you want, that you might not love it when you actually get it and that that's okay that you can navigate out of any situation, no matter how difficult or conflictuous it feels at the time. And that all of that is possible. And it's, it's really possible to just keep evolving, just keep growing and changing. And that what you want will shift and change as you do. Love that story. It's just incredible. And, and, and thank you for sharing it. Um, one thing in there that you said yeah. struck me, and that is you weren't only thinking about yourself, but you said, how can everyone benefit in this situation? How important is that in mindset, in manifestation, in overall thinking to help others who are you know, looking to maybe better their life? For me, it's so important. It's, um, I think Stephen Covey, he said, you know, um, we can create win-win situations, right? And there's no need for it to be a win-lose. And if we go into a situation um, without defensiveness, looking to actually have a conversation, looking to listen, to hear, and really understand what the other person is motivated by, what they're looking for. I believe that there's always a way for us to figure something out that works for everybody. And we will all learn more when we have that conversation, we'll grow more. The understanding that what is outside my vision and what is beyond what I am designing or deciding for myself might be better rather than worse than what I can imagine was a revelation to me, right? Like if I stop controlling everything and deciding how it's gonna be, there might be something even better than what I can see from here. And that's what happens when we involve other people. That's what happens when we say, hey, let's make this win-win for everything. The sum of its parts, but you know, it becomes greater than the sum of its parts and we end up with something even better. That's wonderful. And it, it's kind of tricky, right? Because we, in one way, we have to think about ourselves first. Mm-hmm. But then, and you use the word navigate, how do we navigate the situation for it to be good for us, but then good for everyone else, that win-win? And is that, is that absolutely necessary to have the big picture in mind? The person that's selfish, I'm thinking about the per- person that's saying, okay, I need to be more careful about myself. I need to give more attention to myself. Is that going to an extreme when you're not thinking about the greater good? That's such an interesting question. Thanks for asking that. I feel like there's two parts to that. Because on the one hand, you want to start with yourself. Like, what do I really want? Be really clear on what's going to light you up, what's going to fill you up, what's going to feel good for you, and how you're going to best 
be in service by being in joy, by being happy and by having what you want. So if you come to that first and then go out in the world to looking to collaborate, most of the time we, those things that we want involve connection. They involve other people. And so we can start to look for win-win situations. We can start to navigate what that might look like with other people. And when I say navigate, what that means is have conversations with it with curiosity rather than expectation and be prepared to let go or say no if it doesn't work. And you don't have to bend to everybody else's will. You don't have to compromise. If it feels too much like a compromise, there'll be another scenario or another situation where you can get what you want. And I think often we're so, we're in such a hurry that, or we come from a place of lack where we don't believe that what we really want is available to us, that we take the first thing that looks like it might be that thing. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And thank you for putting that into words that, you know, I could understand and now try to apply because it is, it's, it's, it's a bit tricky. It is really tricky. And I think it's tricky because on the one hand, people tell us, be more selfish, you know, you know, fill your cup first, think about yourself, make sure that you are looking out for you, have good boundaries. And then on the other side, people say, be really selfless, <laughs> look after each other, think of the bigger picture. And it can be really difficult to know which one do you do first. And so my belief is always put yourself first but not in a way that's going to harm others, you know, more to all, less to none. So let's get into your story uh, a bit more. Uh, <laughs> you say you help misfits become mavens. Where did that come from? I've never heard that before. And what does it mean? Okay. So to me, a misfit is someone who feels like they don't belong like they have a different reality or maybe they see things differently they feel differently maybe for whatever reason they feel othered like if they don't they're not normal or they don't process in the same way or maybe they don't want the same things as other people maybe they're faster maybe they're highly sensitive maybe they just grew up in an environment where everybody else liked one thing and they liked something else so there can be all sorts of reasons but most of us understand the concept of being feeling like a round, uh, round peg in a square hole. So that's what I call a misfit. And then a maven, it's an old Hebrew word and it means expert by experience. And so for me, that journey from misfit to maven is one of taking ownership of who you are. So instead of being like, oh, I don't fit in, I don't matter, there's no place for me, kind of woe is me, when we take ownership of our stuff and we go, you know what, I had this experience and, I, and I've been through this and this has been challenging for me and that makes me an expert in this area, then we become a maven. Does that make sense to you? It does, it does. And I'd like to go a little bit deeper with this if we can. Yeah. Um, I was listening to Ed Milet earlier today and he was talking about something similar and that our subconscious mind really is there to protect us and feeds us what we tell it. So if we're telling ourselves that we're not healthy or that we're not any good or that people don't like us, that is our reality. And contrary to that, if we tell ourselves that, you know, and this is obviously very rudimentary, but it's, it's along the same lines, I believe, in your thinking that, you know, a lot of people feel like that, square you know trying to put the square peg in the round hole 
and but how do I get out? So I guess my question is for someone who's listening and is in this situation right now, where do they start? Where do they start? It's an excellent question. Um, the first place is always awareness. It's getting really clear on who you are. So quite often when we feel like we're different or we're othered, we're looking at what uh, our differences rather than our similarities, or we're looking at all the places where we don't fit or it doesn't work rather than getting clear. Uh, we're making judgments as well. So we're going, we're going, this is the information and this is how I feel about it, or this is what I've made it mean. And mostly it's negative. So if we start to just take a audit or take stock of like what is, and for me, that journey involved going, okay, well, who am I? Like, if I'm not just a daughter, if I'm not just, you know, at, um, at school or um, in this career, if I'm not defined by my roles or my labels, who am I? And for me, that journey was at the bottom, at the bo you know, at, a, at my kind of rock bottom. It was like, well, who am I? And, and so I made the decision to figure out who I was and learn to like it no matter what I found or change until I did. And that isn't something that happened overnight. But so those are my kind of steps for people, I suppose. Figure out who you are and become someone that you're proud of, that you like, that you, you have to go home with you at the end of the day. You have to live with you, no one else does. So if you're someone that you're like, you like, everything else starts to shift around you. But sometimes you have to really go, okay, well, what do I like? And what do I stand for? What matters for me? What are my values? What do I believe? So you start with curiosity and kind of unpack all of this stuff and then get clear. And then go, okay, well, who do I want to be? How do I want to show up in the world? And maybe you notice that you're someone who's impatient or who um, is quick to judge. And maybe as you learn these things about yourself without judgment, you go, oh, that's interesting. I'm not sure that I want to be that anymore. Maybe I want to be this instead. And then you get to choose who do you want to be and how do you want to show up in the world? And it's really as simple as making that change in your mind again, right? So to first recognize it and then say, okay, I don't want to be this person anymore and, 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 and pivot. Yes and no. So the pivot and the decision is the first step always. And let's say you are looking in the mirror and you see someone that you, you don't recognize or you don't love or you don't have this affinity with and you are like you know what actually if I lost some weight if I got fitter or if I changed some things about me I would be prouder of who I saw in the mirror that's a that's a great thing to do but you don't want to set yourself up you don't want to say well if I was completely different weight or if I lost like five dress sizes that's that's still a goal that you can have I'm not dismissing that but it needs to be incremental and I would really aim for taking one step at a time rather than completely setting yourself up by going you know the other end of the spectrum like start small make little adjustments don't expect yourself to change completely overnight and then another thing that's really important I believe is finding a community having other people around you who are also looking to make changes in their life looking to but think differently or be more open-minded or have that shift in attitude and when we're surrounded by people who believe that it is possible that will rub off on us and it will be much easier for you to change those beliefs wow i love that it makes me think of something last year within american real we started what we call our live tribe 
And it's a private Facebook group where people mm -hmm. from all around the world come in and we do live videos and, and you have this real sense of community. That's something I never had before in my life. I mean, I had, of course, my core circle of friends, but when we're able to expand our community with like-minded people, I have noticed tremendous change in myself. So I'm really happy that you brought that up and I encourage people as you do to seek out that community, to be part of something bigger, to get out there, to don't stay home, you know, go, go to the event, go to the church, go to different places because that's where you'll be able to connect with people that you may not have if, if you didn't. I absolutely agree with that. And I, and I also love, um, that you have a Facebook group and a lot of the people that I speak to are would consider themselves introverted or have been having a hard time with that feeling of feeling like they're a misfit or feeling like they're different and their energy is quite low and they might feel really overwhelmed and they're not in a great place where they feel great about themselves and the idea of going to a church or a community or a meetup or something absolutely terrifying so again rather than making that big jump straight away join a facebook group lurk in it you know find people on instagram send them a message say hi and if it works better one-to-one -one, you know i used to message people it would be my big challenge of the day message someone and say hey you look really interesting would you like to have a virtual cover and then i don't have to leave my house if it all goes horrible i can press a button like it's safe like look after yourself create safe spaces for yourself and incrementally make it bigger and then once you are feeling a little more comfortable then push yourself into that stretch zone of, of going to the event or the other thing wonderful ebony you use you use a word adulting in a lot of your work can you explain to us what that means and how you incorporate it into what you do yeah absolutely um it actually started off as a, as a joke because, um, you know, people are always saying, I don't want to adult today or like adulting's hard. And we've all got this kind of idea that being, it's really interesting. As a kid, we all want to grow up, right? Every single child I've ever met in my life cannot wait to be an adult or to grow up. Every single adult I've ever met is like, oh, they didn't tell me it was going to be like this. Adulting is hard. And so for me, it's a, uh, adulting is about being kick-ass and kind. It's about being wild and responsible. It's about really understanding that we, as adults, are empowered and have choices and can do whatever we want with our lives. And that's really cool. And sometimes it's really hard and really challenging. So for me, the idea of discussing adulting or bringing adulting into my work is really about learning how to be self-governed and responsible. Like, how do you be someone you like, be responsible, care about the planet, care about each other? You know, the thing we were talking about earlier, that balance of like self, selfish and contributing and being of service. For being adulting is finding that balance for yourself, remembering to have the playfulness and the curiosity and the carefree nature that you had when you were a child. And then also this ability to make good decisions and uh, leave situations that aren't serving you or do something different or choose how you spend your time as an adult. Um, and I don't really have an answer for anyone. It's much more of an investigation for me. Very cool. And can you tell us, give us maybe an example or two of people you work with and you bring this up and then they get into it. How may it impact or change what they're doing or their life? 
Uh, so I work with a lot of creative entrepreneurs or business owners or freelancers who have stepped away perhaps from corporate and um, found themselves like starting this new thing. They, they might have the passion, they might have the energy, they might be really curious about it, but they're not selling it properly or they're not treating it as a grown-up business. They are playing right? Which means it's not making money. It's not necessarily that I have um, structures or maybe contracts and all of that sort of stuff in place. And if I go in and I'm like, you do this, you do this, then I'm just another person telling them what to do. And, and the reason I like coaching over mentoring or telling people what to do is that actually when we tell someone what to do, they instantly go, no, you've just told me what to do. Like we rebel against being told what to do. Whereas if someone asks you questions and finds you find your own answers and you're self-motivated, it's much more interesting. So I like to kind of trick people by talking about a different area of their life and then recognizing the patterns and the similarities. Because the way that we do anything is the way that we do everything for the most part. And so I talk about adulting, I talk about the concept of like, well, how did you behave when you were a kid? And what were, if this was a grown up business as opposed to a baby business or a teenage business, what would be different in it? And people can run with that. They can play with me on that. They can riff on that. And then we start to see that they're not treating their business as if it were a grown-up thing or an adult business. So that's one of the ways that I use it that might uh, have people thinking, oh, if this was a grown-up business, what would I do? You know, you might be putting money aside. You might have some systems for things. You might have contracts in place. You might take it a little bit more seriously. So it's just one of the ways that I use it. I love it. I just wrote down this quote. The way we do anything is the way we do everything. That makes so much sense. I can't take credit for that. <laughs> um, it's one of those um, that's a T-Hub. Well, the first time I heard it was at a T-Hub Eka event. And I remember it being said a lot. And at the time I was like, I don't know what that means or whether it's true. And it's one of those ones that I use a lot now because it's really stuck with me. And you know, energetically, the way that we're behaving in one area of our life, our pattern shows up, nine and a half times out of 10 is happening somewhere else. And often the area that feels really difficult and emotional and uh, weighted in some way isn't the area to look at that pattern. But if we find another area in your life that's less um, sticky or icky to look at, then we can play with it. Then we can go see what's really going on and shift and change it. And it really does work. If you are scared of um, talking off the cuff or riffing or public speaking, and we go and do something where you jump on a tr trampoline or you um, say something silly, you know, we find another area where you are improvising, but it's not on a stage in front of people about your business, then you've learned and built a skill, but in a way that doesn't terrify you. And for me, there's a lot of people out there who are all about hustling and challenging and pushing. And that's not my style. I like to make it fun. I like to make it just a little bit more relaxed if I can. Yeah. And I think if you're even aware of that quote, it will help you through maybe one or two difficult challenges that you may be having that you're not always that way. So maybe just being aware of that quote will give someone, you know, the, the aptitude to, to be able to do everything the same way in their life yeah because that consistency that really matters yeah and it's really interesting to kind of go oh 
I wouldn't do this in any other area of my life. Why am I doing it like this here? And that, again, coming at it with curiosity and just asking yourself those questions can really shift and change stuff for you. You talk about um, resilience, reinvention. <laughs> what is that? Well, I personally believe that the the most important skill for an entrepreneur or a business owner to have in their toolbox is not uh, strategy. It's not like, uh, how to hone your messaging. It's not any of these big things that we get taught. It's actually just resilience. It's actually having a really thick skin, knowing that things might not always turn out how we thought they were going to. Um, I, in November, uh, my, in November last year, my Facebook was hacked and they stole my Facebook page and um, it had a blue tick on it and they put a different picture on it and they started selling um, sex and guns, let's say, through my page, which is a really big deal. And it's something that I could never have anticipated, never have done anything about. And this kind of stuff happens in our lives. And learning how to be resilient, learning how to show up and not take it personally and carry on and um, be in the world when shit happens <laughs> is such an important skill. And for me, it's the one that has changed everything. So pre no, we have two choices in life. We can either run around trying to make all the bad stuff not happen in our lives, which is going to be exhausting because we have no control over it, right? Or you can train to become a ninja to all the stuff that happens in life, to be really resilient so that when life stuff happens, you're a ninja and you're just like, nah, it doesn't faze me, I'll carry on or I'll go over here or I'll work on this thing. And so that's what I mean by uh, resilience and then reinvention. It's just how can you pivot? Where else can you go with this? Are you willing to be, again, curious and, and not be so upset or distracted by something not going your way? And do you think this is one of those topics where people will say, you know what, easier said than done. You know, I, you know things happen. I just, I can't react. Is it, is it practice? Is it more awareness? Um, trying to help people that may be those doubters that say, okay, Great, you coach this, you're great at it, but I'm terrible. How do we help those who, who are intimidated? Oh, resilience is one of those things, right? Like, um, there's a quote which has now completely gone from my mind about uh, you don't discover how strong you are. So there's, um, when you put something in hot water, it, it will become strong or dissolve, right? Like, you can't um, necessarily train for to be resilient without things happening, right? So it's not something you're gonna go out of your way to train for. You're not gonna go, okay, well, just in case loads of bad stuff happens, I'm gonna do this thing. It doesn't really work like that. Instead, you're going about your business in life and you're finding a way to not be completely rocked by things and situations that happen. And it is a case of practice. In my community, in my paid community space, I have this conversation with them a lot. I point out to them in case they haven't noticed that some of them 
are, their mood is entirely dependent on what's going on in their lives. So one day they're like, oh, I filled in my form and everything was terrible and you know, nothing's going my way and life is awful. And then we run the call and, like, and they're like, oh, everything's great, everything's amazing. I'm like, that was four hours ago, what's changed? And they're like, well, someone gave me some money or my mum called or this happened. And their external circumstances are dictating how they feel. So they're reacting to circumstances. What we're looking to achieve is to be in a place of response rather than reaction. So you're creating some, and in order to do that, we create some space between us and the world so that everything's not so close. When everything's really close, we're like react, 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 react. And in order to create space between us and the world where you're like, oh, that happened, oh, that happened. Meditation is one of the best tools because it slows everything down. We're able to observe rather than judge. We're not getting affected by everything. So there are lots of different tools, but meditation is the simplest, the cheapest way of practicing, creating space between you and the world, not letting things affect you and just observing what's going on and looking at your options. One of the other things I love to teach is looking at three different things you could do in any situation. So if you're continually practicing going, oh, well, in this situation, I could do that, I could do that, and I could do that. When something bad happens, you're like, you're so practiced at looking at three options that it comes much more easily. I see. Someone gave me an example recently, and I'd like to, I'd like to see what you think about it. And that is, you have a bottle of Coca-Cola and you have a bottle of water. Mm -hmm. Shake those up. And now you're going to open both bottles. Which bottle... Do you want to be? Do you want to be the Coca-Cola where you're going to explode and react and overreact? Or do you want to be that calm water pouring out of that bottle where things don't, you know, uh, affect you in, in such a way? Is that what you're saying? Is, is that practice that kind of expect the unexpected before it happens so you're not reactive and you're, you're more in control? Absolutely. And there's another beautiful story. If you, if you don't know this one, there are, do you know the two wolves story? People often share that each of us has two wolves inside us. One um, that is calm and happy and beautiful and patient and resilient. And, and the other that is angry and ready to fight and always on edge. And they are constantly fighting, fighting within you. And the question is then, well, which one wins? And the answer is, whichever one you feed. Mm. And you know, it's told much more beautifully and much more eloquently most of the time, but it's really true. If we, are you feeding that part of yourself that is calm and happy and, and resilient and um, at ease? Or are you feeding the one that's angry and pent up and needs to fight and needs to um, be in the drama all the time? Right, great, great example. Where does identity come into all this? Identity is something that often we think is fixed. So oftentimes people tell me, well, this is just the way I am. Um, I was born into it. Uh, my dad did, so I do. You know, we have all of these stories about who we are. And the words that we put after I am are hugely powerful. But our identities aren't static. They're fluid. We can change them. Who you were yesterday doesn't have to be who you are today. We're allowed to, to change our opinion. Um, we're allowed to change our beliefs. All of this can shift. 
And often it's our egos um, or not wanting to be seen as silly or to have changed our mind or to be fickle, like all of this stuff that stops us changing or our fear that we'll lose our friends or that we'll lose our family. But actually, if you really think about it and feel into it, you can change who we are whenever we want. And so I love to talk about identity because it's the beliefs that you hold about yourself starts off as beliefs and then comes into words and then comes into actions. And we've, we've often heard that quote before, um, but when you think about it in terms of identity and who you are becoming, that's what's really important because the person who has the life that you desire, the person who has the successful business or the body or the relationship or whatever it is, they are, they have become that person and you can become that person too. It's your identity, your energy, the way that you talk, how you enter a room, how you show up, all of that stuff is, is part of your identity and it's fluid that you get to change it. It didn't just happen when you were born and it won't, you know, you're not just set like that and you've been set on a course so you're going forever. You can shift and mold and change your identity. And does confidence play into that? You talk about impost, imposter syndrome. Where does, where does that fit into it? It's something that I hear like every day when I'm speaking to creatives or to entrepreneurs or people just starting out, you know, they're like, just feel like an imposter or I can't do that. I don't have that confidence or you know, all of that stuff. And one of the things that I like to say is you can use your time and energy arguing for your limitations, giving me all the reasons why it's not going to work or you can choose to use that same energy to argue for your possibilities and opportunities and start giving me all the reasons why it could work and see what happens. And confidence really is about competency. When we feel competent at something, we feel confident at it. And the only way that we become competent is through trial and error and experience. And so we have to start somewhere, we have to practice. And as adults, we're so used to being good at things that we've forgotten what it's like to learn. We've forgotten what it's like to be terrible at something because we haven't done it very often. So again, this is where this adulting thing comes in. Like what if you came at it as if you were a child? What if you came at it with curiosity or you just had a go? What if you ran like Phoebe and friends because you just wanted to see what it was like rather than going, I must run seven miles on this treadmill, right? So it's all about attitude and our mindset and how we show up. Yeah, and I, it reminds me, I put up a quote this morning on Instagram. Uh, Serena Williams said, I think in life you should work on yourself until the day you die. It's basically what you're saying is we have to continue to learn, continue to improve. We, no one knows it all. And um, it's, it's taking those, being aware and then taking those steps to continue to, to build the best you, right, to be able to come into your own. Yeah, and it's really interesting. I never knew that I, I didn't realize that I was seeking being done until I started seeing it in my clients, until I started seeing that they were like, but when will I be done? When will I be finished? When will I succeed? When will I arrive? And somewhere we've got this notion in our mind that we will learn someone's secret source or someone's strategy or someone's something and all of a sudden we're gonna arrive and be done. But that's ridiculous. <laughs> You're never gonna be done. Right. And so if we let go of the, uh, the idea or the expectation or the notion that we might arrive, be finished or be done, and we recognize that this is the work, this is living, then we can enjoy the journey. Then we can really enjoy 
the work of learning who we are, continually evolving, continuing to learn, have our minds changed. And, and that's what makes people successful. People who can stay present, stay with what's going on and pivot and change uh, and enjoy doing so. Yeah, one of your talking points is, is about feeling different. Mm. Um, how does that fit into to this, to your coaching? I come across people all the time that just, you know, they say, I'm, I, I just feel different. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not in this category. Um, where does that fit in for you? So it's something that has, again, continually been my story, right? Like I, I, if I'm really honest, underneath everything else, when stuff gets hard, I go into one of the archetypes I carry is the martyr, right? Like it's just so much harder for me than it is for anyone else because, and I can list all of the reasons, but I also know that I'm alone. I'm not alone. And that in some way, the misfit is everyone. Like we all feel like that. And at the same time, there are a particular group of people who really identify as misfits. And being a misfit or feeling different is actually different from being a rebel or because, because rebels choose to be different. Rebels choose to show up and be contrary or to do things differently. And that's very different from just feeling like you don't quite fit in, like you don't belong, like people don't see the world in the same way as you do. And I have this theory about what I call misfits, these people who, it isn't a choice, they just feel different, right? Maybe they're the black sheep in their family or they just didn't connect in, in, at school or everywhere they go, they just feel slightly different until they find a community. So right now I've got a community where I don't feel different. I feel unique and I know that I'm me, but I am surrounded by people who are different and it's accepted, if that makes sense. But people who are misfits see the world differently. We have the capacity to see problems before other people can. We are people who are really sensitive and really aware and have got our eyes open and have experienced being on the outside. And so we see the cracks and we see the places where people could fall through or where stuff doesn't work or where someone's being uh, made to feel different or not included. So we have the capacity to see problems before other people can. And we have the creative ideas for how to solve them. But if we keep those ideas to ourselves, if we hide our misfit superpowers, then the world's not gonna change. It's gonna stay as it is or it's gonna get worse. And if we're busy having a pity party, we change nothing. If we're all like, woe is me, then nothing changes. So if you're feeling that way, if you're a misfit, if you're like, yeah, that sounds like me, I don't fit in and I have a tendency to like hermit myself or go off on my own, this is your invitation to step up and to find other people like you and to be the change that, however cliche it is, it sounds, be the change that you want to see in the world. Well said, that's just wonderful. Uh, I follow a gentleman, Jocko uh, Willink, who was a former US Navy SEAL. And one of his expressions is take extreme ownership all the time, extreme ownership with everything. Does that also apply to your training? Yeah. Because I, I kind of, as you're talking, I feel, you know, I think about the misfit, misfit in me, and how can I not 
keep it to myself? How do I get it out there? And I, and I think about extreme ownership. If I took extreme ownership, then it's my responsibility, my duty to, to express it, to bring out that creativity that I see that crack. How am I going to fill that? Absolutely. It's, it's your duty to notice the problems in the world and not bemoan them, not complain about them, but solve them. If you see them, it's your job to solve it. That's what you're here for. And that's really exciting for me. And I love the way that, you're, that you can relate that to uh, a Navy SEALs, um, yeah, I've forgotten his name already, but his way of, of approach, right? Because I couldn't be further from that. So how he talks about it and how I talk about it, we may talk, be talking about exactly the same thing, but our language and our energy and who we connect with and who is watching me or who's watching him, and we're like, oh yes, it's gonna to be totally different people and that's what's so cool. So if you're watching this and you're like, but I've got a message and so many other people are already saying it, no one's saying it like you are saying it. And the way that you say it will appeal to someone else and then we can, you know, we can tag each other in and then we're all in this together. Wow, it's, uh, it's, it's great that we connected. And I, again, I feel there's a reason we connected. I know we're gonna stay in touch. I feel like I made a new friend today, uh, Allard. <laughs> uh, it's really wonderful. I have one last question though before I let you go. Yeah. I ask every guest this. What do you want your legacy to be? I want people, everyone, to know that there's a place for them, to know that they belong, that they're perfect exactly as they are, and that there's nothing to fix. They're not broken. That if we heal ourselves, if we take extreme ownership, then everyone will know that there is a place for them that they belong and then we can exist in harmony with one another. And I really believe that the, the world will be a better place for it. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. How do people reach you if they want to connect and read your book? Oh, uh, thank you. Um, firstly, it's just been so lovely, Roger. I've really enjoyed this chat. Thank you so much. And ebonyallard.com, ebonyallard on Instagram. And if you search Misfit to Maven, you'll find me. And Ebony is with an IE instead of a Y. <laughs> so um, I'm pretty sure you'll find me if you type it with a Y, but it's Ebony with an IE. Great. And we'll put the links in the show notes as well. Ebony Allard, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review, as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one -on -one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy, where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we could help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.